You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for uh, early February. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Fire Emblem Awakening. Hi, I'm Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Dead Space 1. Hmm. <laughs> and hello, everyone. Uh, I am John Schaefer, and my game of the week is not Civ 5. Oh. <laughs> now, that's kind of a... Why would you not... That's your own game, John Schaefer. Uh, but I guess that, that way you're not alienating any other game developers, when you put it that way. It's it's also not my game of the week. I have a new game of this week. So, okay, well, we're going to get to that. You actually kind of have two, at least two prominent games this week. Uh, of course, the thing that you may or may not have been playing, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, but uh, you just announced your new game that you're working on. Uh, your Kickstarter just went live. Are you nervous, excited, or some combination thereof? How would you characterize <laughs> your mental state? Sure. So I am I am really pumped. I'm very excited to see how this does. I wouldn't say that I'm nervous uh, because I feel I feel str- really strongly that the game is good. I feel that people are going to really buy into it and want to play it. So I'm not honestly concerned about it. I guess there's good. there's a certain part of me that is, but um, it's it's definitely more excitement than anything else. Well, let's talk about it. So this is news for lots of folks, uh, pretty much for everyone uh, except you. The the game <laughs> is called uh, John Schaefer's At the Gates, and I guess you would say, correct me if I'm wrong, this would be, I'm going to try, I'm guessing that your elevator pitch is as follows. It is a historical turn-based 4X about barbarian tribes picking apart the Roman Empire. That would that would do it. I uh, I'm on board with that. Now, it also has some unique selling points, and let, let's talk about some of those. Uh, obviously, uh, is there any is there any direct competition? Because I know there were some, I think, Civ scenarios about the Roman Empire falling apart. But as far as a dedicated game, aren't you kind of in your own territory here? I think so. Um, I've I've done a little bit of research because I myself was kind of curious about that same thing, and I really I didn't find anything. I'm, I'm sure there are a couple you know smaller war games and stuff, but in terms of actually focusing on the fall, uh, unless you count you know a Rome Total War expansion or something, that's pretty much it. And now this is not a war game. This is very much a 4x strategy game. I mean, you're playing at the strategic level. Uh, there's no tactical combat, of course. Um, I I would say. Uh, when I look at the video, in the video you have a gameplay demo. You can clearly see how it plays. Uh, the thing that I'm most reminded of that I've played recently is Conquest of Elysium 3. It seems to be kind of at that level, some important differences, of course, but as far as the, the bulk of the gameplay being moving armies around an evolving map, uh, that, that's what you seem to mainly be doing in the game, correct? Yeah, the, the game is very map-based. Uh, so one of the one of the core features that you kind of hinted at earlier was uh, how the map changes. So each turn in At the Gates is a month, and over the course of 12 turns, you go through a full yearly cycle where the map will change, uh, fields will dry up in the summer, uh, rivers will flood uh, during rainy months, rivers and coastlines will freeze in the winter, and the whole map will get kind of cold and nasty. 
uh, and uh, being a migratory barbarian tribe, you spend a fair amount of your time actually migrating around the map, so you're not fixed in one spot. So it is very much a map-based game, and uh, really wanted to keep that focus on on uh, on the play field. I guess I think that's the the best and most compelling part of uh, strategy games. Mm-hmm. And it seems one of the ways the map changes, and I kind of think John, like I I look at this game design choice you've made, and I have to admire it for its boldness, because I can imagine some players hating this, but resources on the map deplete. Like when I grab an iron mine or whatever, it's only going to last for so many turns before I've sucked all the iron out of it and it's no longer useful. Um, That seems like an important way the map changes, and it kind of bucks the trend for how a lot of strategy games work, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Um, So the, the goal with that was to kind of get away from some of the flaws that you see in a lot of other 4X games where, you know, everybody's experienced it where you get halfway through a game and it just kind of loses steam and you're, you say, all right, you know, I've played the fun part, I'm going to start over. Uh, so with At The Gates, um, as you said, resources actually run out over time, so you need to be planning ahead, you always need to have an eye on the future, be thinking about where you're going to end up next, whether you're going to attack somebody to get their resources or if you're going to move to another part of the map. Um and, uh, you know, as you said, some people are, are going to be turned off by that. And I think, that's, I think that's okay, because not every game needs to sell 3 million copies to break even, or it shouldn't. <laughs> My goal with uh, At The Gates is to show that it doesn't need to anyways. Now, one of the things that, that struck me about this model is that, well, wait a minute, if I've built my cities and I've got my iron mines and farms and whatnot, uh, farms work a little differently, but uh, if I've got the, the places where I'm getting resources and they start being sucked dry and they're no longer useful, what happens to the fact that my cities are now parked in useless territory? Uh, and one of the things I didn't realize until I watched the video, uh, cities aren't really cities, they're settlements and they move, correct? Yep. So I'm basically, as well as moving my units around, I'm effectively moving my cities and therefore my supply radius, right? Exactly, yeah. So um, part of the idea there was capturing the feel of history. So uh, barbarian tribes migrated across Europe, so it would make sense that they would be able to migrate. Uh, But I also wanted to really capture that sense of expansion that's so interesting in 4X games. And again, typically it kind of runs out uh, halfway through the game. But in At The Gates, because you have to keep moving, you're never stuck in one spot. You never are kind of, all right, you know, I've done what I can do here. That's it. Uh, now it's pretty much just, you know, fighting. Uh, there's, all, you know, from start to finish, the expansion phase of the game is is, is going. So, um, you know, it's it's a very different focus, and it's very different from what a lot of people will be familiar with. And I I hope in the majority of cases that will be a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it, it looks like it's single player only. And by the way, I I certainly applaud that. I think a lot of game designs get pulled in. They, they devote resources to multiplayer when that's really not a wise use of of their resources. Uh, however, McMaster, I need your help. You ready for this? Sure. When we play at the gates. We're going to play co-op on the same computer, but your job is, is just move. You're in charge of the settlements. They only move one right. hex per month, I think. But so move the settlements, keep them up with my armies. Uh, don't don't build anything or anything like that. I'll be doing all that stuff. But I just need you once a turn to move all my settlements. Can you do that? Oh yeah, no problem. Okay, so McMaster, you're in charge. You're basically you're in charge of the baggage train, so so to speak. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's so uh, sad. Well, you, you, McMaster, you, that that sounds like fun for you, right, McMaster? You can, you know what? I tell you what. Every December, you can choose one of the units, one of the military units to move. Okay. All right. That sounds okay. good. Good. And and the cool thing about December, you could probably walk across a river that you couldn't walk across in August because it might be frozen. So it really lots of exciting awesome. things. I'll be apple cheeked and clapping, and uh, you know my my mittens will be uh, pinned to the front of my vest. But uh, each each Yule festival, I get to move a military unit. Thanks. Exactly. It's like my Christmas present to you. I don't know if, they, if the barbarians have Christmas, but we're going to have Christmas. Master, you can move one military unit the rest of the year. Just just knock yourself out. It's fine. Just move the settlements. Uh, by the way, John. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, McMaster. Uh, it's just uh, I agree with that because it gives me something to look forward to. Exactly. I, I got I to gotta find a way to incorporate this in the game somehow now. <laughs> Uh, now, what this reminds me of, too, in a way, John, like it's, it's not a war game. It's clearly a strategic level 4X game, but it, it reminds me of playing more like divisional level war games where you've got to keep track of a headquarters. Uh, and for people who aren't into war games, that might sound tedious, but it it's the same thing that you're kind of doing with the settlements, is that I've got this radius where it extends supply, and I need to manage that, basically how much of the map I affect with my supply and I can't just rush armies around pell-mell. Now, you have a provision model where armies can walk outside of that radius and last for a little while. But it, it seems like it's doing a, a, a good job of keeping the focus on a particular area of the map. Like you're never sprawling out this huge empire managing the entire map. It seems like this would reduce the end game tedium that a lot of 4Xs have where your empire gets so big and you're managing so many different cities and units that they all seem kind of meaningless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The uh, kind of the core design philosophy that I've taken with At The Gates is to really focus on what what counts and what matters. And that's one of the things that's so great about starting you know, a brand new franchise, a brand new game, is that you, you have that flexibility to do literally whatever you want with it. So I was, I'm, you know, with, At The Gates, I'm able to say, all right, what's important here? All right, um, you know, weather supply what's not important like allocating population and you know moving mm -hmm. sliders and that sort of thing uh, so it, it really gave me an opportunity to back up and evaluate everything that's in a forex game and bring a completely new spin on it mm -hmm. now uh these are there is this is during the fall of the roman empire so the romans are a, a big part of the map uh i look at what you're doing with the romans and i'm reminded a little bit of what happened in Alpha Centauri with the Alien Crossfire expansion, where there were these huge, powerful alien factions on the map, and they kind of had their own agenda, but you could interact with them or not, uh, depending on how you wanted to play the game. So it seems like the Romans are this big, huge, powerful faction that you, you don't just take them head on, but you can kind of thrive off of them, and you get technology from them, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep, that's correct. So the idea is to provide a sense of progression through the game. So at the start, like you said, the Romans, uh, there's the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire, which are two separate factions that can actually be uh, fighting each other even. Uh, and over the course of the game, they'll grow weaker due to fighting each other, fighting uh, barbarians, and there's also... Uh, events that can occur where maybe the emperor dies and is replaced with a child emperor, and that's uh, obviously not a good thing. Uh, you don't want the, the seven-year-old kid leading the, the army. Uh, so they, they progressively get weak over time, and you get stronger. So 
there's there's this phase where you have to decide, all right, when am I going to start picking on the Romans, basically? And um, as you alluded to, uh, there's there's kind of a technology system in the game. Um, obviously, it wouldn't make sense for um, you know, Attila to be you know reading Plato and doing analytic geometry or whatever. So uh, the idea is that the barbarian kingdoms become more Romanized over time, either by capturing Roman cities or by uh, completing diplomatic requests for them. Uh, so you have to take a very active approach to uh, developing your empire and getting access to new, uh, new upgrades and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a couple of things in your video that you don't talk about, but that I that caught my mm-hmm. eye that I want to ask more than about. a couple. <laughs> so yeah, so maybe these are things you can't really talk about yet, or they were just placeholder. But uh, a couple of things that caught my eye. Uh, one of which is there's a stat for glory and another uh, indicator for stability. Um, can you say anything about what glory and stability are? Sure. So I'll provide the caveat of everything can and probably will change. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so keep that in mind. But the way those work is. Glory is basically uh, just a score counter. So uh, the victory condition for the game is capturing either the uh, capital city of Eastern Rome or the capital city of Western Rome, either the city of Rome or the city of Constantinople. Uh, To prevent the game from turning into, all right, who can race to Rome with the biggest army at the start of the game, uh, there's basically a counter where you need to amass a certain amount of glory first, and then you can you can capture one of those cities to win. So mm-hmm. you, you basically have to establish a reputation, and then once you've captured those cities, then people kind of respect you and accept that you're you're there and you're around. You're not going anywhere. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just kind of showed up, captured Rome, people would look around and say, "Wait, what? Wait, hold on, what happened?" Um, so this kind of paces things out a little bit better. Um, That may change, like I said, might find a different way of doing that, but that's kind of the idea behind it, at least. Uh, In terms of the stability, uh, that, uh, the way that works is, uh, so the Romanization perks, uh, which are like the technologies that you can acquire, uh, you can actually refund those in a way and and then pick new ones. So if you've um, become Romanized, you can kind of shift away from, let's say, uh, siege weapons and then shift towards shipbuilding. So uh, if you're kind of up against a wall, um, literally, and you can't break through, then you can kind of switch gears and, and start uh, becoming a naval power. And whenever you switch uh, and whenever you kind of deallocate these perks, uh, there's an effect on your stability, which affects things like tax collection and morale and that sort of thing. Uh, so that's basically an indicator of all right, have you have you fiddled with your your romanization perks lately? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the things that you do briefly touch on, but we don't get any specifics, and you may not know specifics about this yet, but you mentioned that the different factions you can play will have unique abilities. It sounds to me like the idea is these are asymmetrical factions, correct? Yeah, that's that's right. So uh, it is something that I still need to do a lot of design work on for. But a couple of the ideas that I have that I'm, I'm pretty excited about are uh, having a faction or factions maybe that are more robust in the winter, so they're less affected ah. by supply situation, something like that. So maybe the winter coming is actually a really good thing for them, um, but they might have a weakness in some other way that uh, you know hurts them. And um, something that I'm pretty excited about, I have no idea if it's going to work yet, but uh, having the Huns, uh, which are a faction of 
of course, they might not be able to actually own anything that's fixed in one place on the map. So they might not be able to own farms or cities or anything like that. And they basically just have to keep moving around pillaging to keep going. And that's their game. They just they go around, they burn stuff, and uh, they got to you know, accomplish the, the victory condition of capturing Rome or Constantinople that way. Uh, now the combat that you show, it looks to me like you're you you clearly want the combat to be, um, I, I guess, simple is a fair word. Uh, unit has a combat strength. There is of course no tactical combat. Um, it doesn't look like, and, and maybe it's just because it's an early build. It doesn't look like units have a lot of different stats or abilities. Um, what what is your goal with how streamlined you want the combat to be? Yeah, the the units are uh, so the, the the focus with the military system is very much on uh, the supply side of things and the idea of planning a campaign, deciding when you're going to attack, uh, where you're going to allocate your forces, uh, making sure that they're supplied, making uh, trying to find the enemy's supply camps, cutting them off, that sort of thing. Uh, so rather than individual, you know, forming fronts like in Civ Five or just making the biggest stack of units like in in other Civ games or other 4X games, uh, the focus is much more on, I guess, positioning and maneuver. Uh, as for the specific unit types themselves, uh, I wanted uh, I want there to be some somewhere in the range of eight or ten different ty uh, classes of units, I suppose. So instead of very incremental upgrades, uh, you know, spearmen to pikemen, you get plus one strength or something like that, um, the different classes of units are very different. So you might have a basic infantry, which is your very standard infantry unit, whereas uh, a scout is much quicker and cheaper, uh, but it's basically useless in combat. Uh, in the video, I talk about that a little bit, where um, if you if you try to attack somebody with a scout, it's pretty much just going to get smeared. Uh, and there are also other classes of units, like uh, catapults, which are very good at sieging cities. You have uh, galleys, which are used on the water, of course. Uh, light cavalry, which are great for outflanking and trying to uh, capture the enemy's supply camps. You have heavy cavalry, which are used to... Um, or they're kind of like the shock troops that you send them in. They're very expensive, but you're very careful about how they're used. Uh, you want to go in there and kind of smash the enemy and then get out before they can get uh, counterattacked. So the idea is that everything has a very specific role, and uh, when you see a certain type of unit, you know exactly what it's used for, and um, I think that's uh, an interesting approach. I think it'll work for this period of history, and I think in some ways it'll be better than that incremental, you know, I get a unit every 10 turns that has a plus one modifier on it. Sure. Uh, now, McMaster, have you, ma have you managed to see the videos yet? Uh, I have not, unfortunately. I would be curious if you notice, and I don't know if you know this, John, or if it was just a little bit of sabotage. Uh, are you aware that at the end of your video, there's a small creature terrorizing one of your staff members? <laughs> I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if many people, it's a very subtle thing. Maybe people watch the video and don't see this, but I, I was a little alarmed. I was worried about her safety. Uh, I don't know what was going on there, but uh, I hope she's okay. She she did survive. She did survive. I can't speak for her condition, but I know she's at least still with us. Okay, good. Uh, obviously, uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was pretty cute. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that is. Um, uh, Mr. Chick is speaking of our our Chick, which is a uh, a parrotlet named Tweeters, and he is a little rascal. So he uh, he really likes to hang out with us and sometimes uh, stir up some trouble. So we brought him out 
uh, during the video, and he started to be a little bit sassy. <laughs> and what what is his role on the development team? Just kind of a morale booster. Uh, he is he is emotional support, and uh, <laughs> he's also the alarm clock. So uh, if we um, haven't been working in a while and have, been, for example, sleeping or something, he'll make sure that uh, we don't do that for too long and we get back. To he sounds like a bit like a cruel taskmaster. Uh, I hope he's going easy on you guys. <laughs> I used to it. No, he's um, you you learn to respect each other, and then and then you kind of hide when you need to. It's it's cool. It's it's it's, it's a working relationship. What can right. I say? Uh, now, McMaster, I've decided. Listening to John talk, uh, I'm going to let you also have a scout to use. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, unfog parts of the map. Don't get into any combat, of course. Um, so, uh, John, I have a quiz for you. You ready for this? Um, I hope so. Okay, I'm going to name two games, and I want you to tell me what your game ha- has in common with those two games. Are you ready? Okay, let's do okay. it. Okay. The games are, and actually, McMaster, you can play this as well. If you know the answer, you can ring in as well. All right. What does your game have in common with Orcs Must Die and I Am Alive? Orcs? I'm guessing that's not the right answer. Wait, yeah, there are orcs in your game? <laughs> Wait a minute. There it's... were no orcs attacking the Roman Empire. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> it's an alternate universe. Oh. Yeah. Uh, McMaster, do you know this one? I'm thinking, because I've played those two games. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I haven't played John's game. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I think I think maybe I win the quiz. So, McMaster, yeah, do you have a, a even a wild guess? Journals. Mm, are there journals in Orcs Must Die? We don't know if there are journals yet in uh, John Schaefer's At the Gates. Here we go. Gold coins. An- what? What is it? Gold coins. Gold coins. John Schaefer, are there gold coins in your game? There are. It's called wealth, but you know, close enough, right? Well, there are orcs. No, there are no gold. No, well, that is a good point. They do have art, but that is not the answer I was looking for. By the way, there are no gold coins that I'm aware of in I Am Alive, which is a post-apocalyptic oh. thing. From- oh, wait, wait, I have it. Yes? All three all three games have graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you know what? You are right, McMaster, so I'll give you half a point. John, your, your guess of orcs, absolutely flat-out wrong. I'm afraid you get zero points. I feel like I've been cheated here. Here's what your game has in common with Orcs Must Die and I Am Alive. The title of your game is a complete sentence, because the title of your game is John Schaefer's at the Gates, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I got you there. John Schaefer is at the Gates. That's a complete I... sentence. Orcs Must Die is a complete sentence. I Am Alive is a complete sentence. You're, you're doing the Sid Meier thing of putting your name at the beginning, which is certainly cool. I, I applaud. I, I appreciate any developer who does that. I think developers deserve recognition. But, you know, the possessive could be used as a contraction for a B verb. <laughs> I have been told that before. <laughs> so, for instance, there are not many games where the title of the game could be like a line of dialogue in a historical play. So, McMaster, if we ever do a historical play, I'll be playing the king, by the way. You're going right. to be a messenger. You're going to come out on stage. You're just going to have the one line, deliver it, and then get off stage. Don't try to draw focus or anything. But your one line will be the name of John Schaefer's game. And I'd like to hear you deliver it right now. So I, j- I just want to get a line reading from you, McMaster. You're going to come out. You're the messenger. You've got one line in the play. Go. 
So I mean, I I need to know what my lead-in is. I mean, you, you have to. Oh, set you need up a cue. You need a cue, right? Right. Uh, okay, so here me playing the king. Uh, I'm I'm doing a long monologue, and then the monologue ends with, uh, uh, and thus say I, and that's your cue. Okay, so here's your cue, master. And thus say I. John Schaefer is at the gates, Your Majesty. Also, I hate you. Oh, you embellished. You, there's no room for improv oh, no. in this, McMaster. You've ruined my play. You're fired. How dare you? <laughs> so many, so many, so many awesome Easter eggs are being created tonight. <laughs> uh, it, it also, uh, John, like it's it's an accepted, like it's an idiom that everyone knows. You know, the barbarians are at the gates. Everybody knows that. But you're also kind of doing this Deus Ex thing where you're only doing part of the idiom. Because Deus Ex is Deus Ex Machina, for whatever reason, they cut right. that off. So you are, like, cutting out the barbarian parts. Uh, but I kind of like that. Like, it's provocative. It's got this minor note element to it where you're like, wait a minute, who's at the gates? What the, what's at the gates? And the reveal, if I may be so bold, is that you, the player, are at the gates because you are the barbarians. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, uh, you you dug into it certainly, but that that is kind of the idea is to to really evoke something with the name, um, mm-hmm. you know, not to get too deep into it, but I think a lot of names for games these days are, I don't know, I guess very uh, cleaned up for PR or something, you know, they've gone through the focus group, but uh, I think that there, you know, there can be some pretty creative names out there, and I tried to come up with something I think fits and. I, I think it does a good job of evoking the uh, the mood of the game, at least. Yeah, like if this was like something that Matrix or somebody was publishing, it would just be called, like, you know, Follow the Roman Empire. It would just have some bland, descriptive title. Uh, I like what you've done by using At the Gates. Yeah, some, oh, some people said, you know, you should have put Rome in the title, but the, the issue I had with that is that, you know, this isn't a game about Rome. This is a game about you, the barbarians, and... Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that that focus was clear. So, no Rome. Sorry. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, uh, John, we wish you the best of luck with the Kickstarter. It's just started. Yes. Uh, so folks can find it by just going to Kickstarter and searching for At the Gates, right? That is correct. Good. And you also have a site for your company, which uh, you founded a new company. You've left Stardock, and you are now an entrepreneur yourself. Uh, tell us about your company and the name of it and where the name came from. Sure, okay. So, uh, the name of our company is Conifer Games, and uh, you can find us at conifergames.com, of course. Uh, So, the way the company is structured is uh, I'm doing, uh, obviously, the business stuff and game design and gameplay programming, and uh, there are a couple of my friends that are basically helping out on the side. Uh, So, uh, one of my friends, uh, Kay, is the art director for the game, and she's done the train art, uh, units, that sort of thing. Uh, and um, another mutual friend is uh, his name is John or Jonathan, um, and that is a point of issue at times. Because there are two Johns there. Yeah, spelled the same too. It's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. Um, Just go go by your last names. Yeah, ah, that's weird. <laughs> well, considering um, that I know what his last name is, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we um, so we we're all friends, and we've been working on this um, kind of. You know, for for several months now, and they've been helping out on the side uh, after getting home from their day jobs. Uh, we we all actually live in a house together, and we share the uh, uh, the space. And usually, they'll get home, and I'll tell them, "All right, you know, I know you just got home, but I'm sure the 
thing you really, really want to do right now is work some more, right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes it doesn't go over so well, but, you know, I, I, I still give it a shot. Sometimes it works. Uh, but... Um, we also have a couple other uh, independent contractors that are helping us out, like with the uh, really, really awesome watercolor paintings that we have um, for our theme music, uh, th that sort of thing. So it's all very, you know, to the to the metal indie thing where you know, doing it out of the house, no office. Um, you know, I'm doing it full time. Everyone else is part time. Some contractors just uh, just want to get it out there and, and make something cool, make something small, see how it does. Um, you know, I think that's. Uh, strategy games developed by smaller teams have a really important role in the future. Uh, you can really get a lot more variety with um, games that are made on a smaller budget uh, for obvious reasons. You know, if you're spending millions of dollars, you can't take as many risks. You have to make sequels or you have to make things that, um, you know, uh, the businessmen think will sell millions of copies. And, I mean, honestly, there's probably a lot of other games that we could have made that would potentially sell better but you know as long as we're able to keep doing it and and making interesting work I, you know that's what counts that's what that's you know one of the reasons why i went uh, off on my own and did what i did mm -hmm. good um, uh, so and mm -hmm. why uh what do you have against deciduous trees like, <laughs> yes. conifer games what's up with that so uh the the three of us that make up the core team uh we we're all kind of nature lovers by uh by nature, I guess. Terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> kind of hurt. Um, but uh, we knew we wanted a, a name for the company that evoked that interest and that that feeling. Um, so uh, we uh, names, and uh, I also make sure that whatever we went with was something that a people could remember and b could spell because the last two places. <laughs> in Firaxis and Stardock. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people where I worked, and then their first question is, and their second question is, how do you spell that? So I really wanted to make sure I could tell people where I worked and they would be interested instead of being like, oh, you work at Starbucks. I'm like, no, that's <laughs> sure. Yeah, yes, done. Yeah, no one, no one will confuse Conifer Games with a coffee shop. Very nice. Um, so you know, it's it's um, uh, something that uh, again kind of evokes our interests and is also you know snappy and pretty evocative and sure. cake with a, a really cool logo for us and um, yeah, it's uh, you know it's one of those things where you're coming with the company and you're like, well, you know, <laughs> this is the fun part. <laughs> Sending <laughs> Amazon payments not as much fun. Well, all right. Well, I encourage folks to check out At the Gates at either Kickstarter or go to Conifer Games' webpage. Uh, and, John, we wish you the best of luck with this. That would have been my news of the week, uh, but uh, I think we've covered that amply. So uh, good luck with At the Gates, and, and we look forward to seeing how the Kickstarter progresses. And what is the current timeline in terms of – I know you probably hate being asked this – but in terms of when folks can actually play At the Gates? Sure. So um – the, we're planning on releasing the final version of the game uh, sometime in the first half of 2014. Uh, but uh, one of our Kickstarter tiers is the <clears throat> excuse me the ability to uh, get into our alpha testing group uh, much earlier than that. So we're aiming for around May or June with that. If you uh, you know just really can't wait to uh, to check it out. So that's mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're looking at. Great, cool. 
Uh, all right, so before we uh, get to news and games of the week, a couple of quick bookkeeping things. Uh, on our comment section, someone named Dave asked us if we had played Heroes and Generals. Um, McMaster, I looked you at play? it. Yes? I looked at it. I haven't. I haven't played it yet. I, it looks like something that you would have to be involved with if we were to play it, because it's got the part where you shoot dudes, you know, and that's <laughs> right. and that's and that's the part I excel at. So then there's the part where you have to like tell dudes what to do, and that's that's more more your thing. So I, I figured. We could work together on that one. Yeah, so it looks like it's a uh, – a f- it, so the weird thing is published by Square Enix, and it's developed by uh, IO Interactive, or some, some former employees of IO Interactive who made the Hitman games. Um, and looking at the web page – and by the way, it's a terrible web page because you go there, and there's a video you can watch – but there's no place to like read about the features of the game. The only option is to choose, yes, play now for free when you click on it, and then it wants you to sign up. So it does a terrible job of just letting the casual, inquisitive person figure out what it is. But from what I could tell, it looks like a latter-day version of World War II Online, which was that big, crazy, persistent online multiplayer oh, yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah, where you could be either an infantryman or a truck driver, or you could pilot a fighter jet, or you could... Uh, be a submarine captain, or I, I don't know what all is in there. Um, but it looks like that kind of thing. Uh, but free to play and published by uh, Square Enix. So, uh, no, we have not played it, um, Dave, but, but thank you for asking. We always appreciate tips like that. But if we do play it, so McMaster, here's the deal. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be in charge of the strategy level, and every now yeah. and then I'll go down. What you need to do is I need you to man the coastal watch guns you just sit on the coast and if you see the enemy coming let me know and sometimes because there's a strategic level here where you move troops around and whatnot sometimes i'm going to need you to play a mini game to make sure that the troops are supplied with ammo and canned food so that's your job as long as it's something like dr mario that's fine i'll I'll piece it, it together. It might be, and I don't actually know if this is in the game, but if it's in there, McMaster, that's going to be your job. Me and John, we're going to be flying fighter planes. So, John, are you on board with me for this? <laughs> what, what the? You don't. You don't. You can't fly a, a fighter plane. I'm, I'm calling. I know. <laughs> this this sounds like one of those games that you know when you when you hear the pitch sentence you're like that sounds like fun and then you break it down and you're like ooh because I've I've tried to play World War Two online I mean I've been in that game where I have to like spawn and then wait for the stupid truck to pick me up and then I get in the truck and the truck drives me to the fighting and I get out of the truck and I get shot and I have to go back to the spawn and I have to wait for the truck and so finally I decide well screw that the truck driver's having all the fun I'm gonna be a truck driver so I spawn on, I get in a truck, nobody gets in my truck. I wait in my truck, I wait and I wait, nobody's getting in my truck. So I'm like, well, screw it, I'm going to drive myself out there. So I drive to the fighting, I can't find it. I'm driving around, there's nobody in my truck, I have no idea what I'm doing, I log out. That's my experience with World War II online. <laughs> I think any game where you can be a truck driver is probably doing it wrong. <laughs> well, you know, I you say that, John, but I recall, um, man, this is going way back, uh, Nova Logic, what was the company in Calabasas? They made those joint strike team fighter games rats what were these called um they, they made this crazy huge open world shooter and this was before the battlefield games if i'm not mistaken with enormous maps and you could be like a helicopter pilot you could be the guy who lands the helicopter at the spawn point and then 
loads it up and then flies the dudes out to where they have to fight. And I love that kind of support role. Um, that, but the, yeah, but that's not that's not driving a truck. That's, you have that's a point. Flying a helicopter, which <laughs> is just have, awesome. Yeah, that that is considerably more awesome than driving a truck I, I around. Don't know yeah. if you guys have been in a helicopter before, but I have, and it's much different from driving in a truck. That's all I'll say. That is a good point. Like, if I was to make a game, I think like that's like cab driver. Yeah, nobody wants to be the cab driver, but the helicopter pilot. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So, McMaster, we need you to drive. You can drive the truck. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. Heroes in general. Uh, also on bookkeeping, uh, this is a regular feature. We've uh, missed it recently because I was on a secret mission, then McMaster was on a secret mission. Finally, we're both on the podcast uh, together again. McMaster, what is the current count in your household of Skylanders toys that you own? Last time we checked with you, it was nine. You seem to have this crazy idea that it would not get any higher. You know, you sounded like the guy who's going to not get any more tattoos. I didn't believe that was going to happen, so I'm checking in now. What is your current Skylanders count? I am still at nine. Man, all right, you trumped me there, McMaster. Come on, you just—is it because you can't find them? Like, have you been going haunting Toys R Us looking for new Skylanders and they're just not out there? Why is it still only at nine? Oh, God, I've, you know, just uh, been kind of busy. haven't been able to play with my Barbies lately. All right. Uh, I do know what you have been playing, by the way, so for your game of the week, I'm looking forward to hearing about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'm looking forward All right, to well, let's, let's first do some news of the week. So, John, uh, why don't you start us off? Uh, I know what you're going to mention here. I'm curious to sort of hear about this. What have you chosen for your pick for news of the week? Sure. So my news of the week, I think, is kind of apt this week, um, completely coincidental, but uh, is Brian Reynolds leaving Zynga? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, uh, I still am not used to hearing that Brian Reynolds was even at Zynga. That always is mm-hmm. a cognitive disconnect. Yeah. Four years. Wow, four years at Zynga. Yeah, and he, so he worked on Frontierville, um, which... Does anyone, did anyone here but me play Frontierville? No, I didn't. So I, I have not. It's, it's just kind of cute, but it was very much a, that kind of Facebook game. And I remember dinking around with it and thinking, well, yeah, this is great, but this is what they've got Brian Reynolds doing. Uh, that's kind of sad. Um, so he left, and he put a very good face on it. Do we know anything, John, about what he's wanting to do or why he left? Um, well, he, uh, he's made a couple posts on Twitter and he did an interview, I think with, um, with games beat, if I'm not incorrect here, I'll do a quick search on that. Um, and he basically said he wanted to do smaller teams, smaller studio stuff, but he was going to take a break for a little while. Um, and that's, I think kind of the extent of it right now. Of course, everyone's saying, you know, Al Centauri Kickstarter. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, my problem is that. It's it's going to be him and Cliffy B. It's going to be Gears of Alpha Centauri 5, and it's going to rule. <laughs> McMaster is calling it. I like that prediction, McMaster. Uh, all right, so uh, we're, we're glad that Brian has escaped the clutches of Zenga. Uh, and who? So who is still trapped at Zenga? Do you guys know offhand? Uh, like, Soren Johnson is still at Zenga. <sighs> Poor Soren. All right. Well, so now we have to mount a rescue party, McMaster. We need you to just – you stay back at base, and you monitor the phones. Me and John, we're going to suit up. Yeah, yeah, McMaster. I'll, I'll start developing a game, and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put cartoony graphics on it. 
and then I'll just like <laughs> hang it out the window and go, oh, I hope no one steals this. And then when Zynga rushes to steal my game, you go get Soren. But, Master, you're a goddamn genius. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. You've been using him wrong this whole time, Tom. <laughs> Only I don't. He, he should have been the brains behind this operation the whole time. It's a perfect rescue plan to get Soren Johnson out of there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we get to my main news of the week, I just wanted to do a brief public announcement. Uh, there's a fantastic game that I played on the Wii U. Uh, which nobody really has a Wii U, so nobody else could really play this, called Little Inferno, which recently came out on the iOS, so or the, just the iPad or the I- iPhone. Uh, so uh, I want to just a quick shout-out to let folks know, uh, check out Little Inferno on your iPad. Uh, the less that you know about it, the better. It's a very short game. I kind of described it as the equivalent of like a short indie film to bigger budget games. Uh, you can play it in a couple of hours, knock it out in an evening. Uh, a great, great experience. Uh, I heartily recommend Little Inferno. I really liked it, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so, McMaster, what is your news of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, some softball stuff, because I usually bring the hard-hitting, depressing news. Um, I'm just going to go with uh, League of Legends Season 3 launched uh, this week. And, uh, you know, big money, big prizes. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Will you be Will you be competing, Master? Oh God, probably not. Uh, there's no way. I love that game, but I'd have to just give up on everything else. Now I do have a dumb question. So season three means means what? Because this is a big like esports thing, or this is just yeah. stuff anybody plays. What does season three mean? Well, season three, like they they take down their rankings every year or every season at you know at the end whatever they have their championship and everything and then they they retool a bunch of stuff and they change rules etc and uh, then bring it back up and the whole competition begins for their big prize mm-hmm. what is the um, big prize no. uh, you know i'm not sure this year i know it was several it was like a million bucks last year or something so maybe like 20 dollars at least <laughs> at least by the way then where do beat, i sign up yeah uh for the 20 bucks uh we beat then if that's the price 20 dollars is the price for the league of legends season three we beat them with our quarter to three battle of the bulge tournament uh yes so battle battle of the bulge is a cool ios war game uh made by shenandoah studios and they are sponsoring for us a quarter to three a tournament we currently have 64 players signed up it's it's just about to start uh and the number the the player who comes out ahead wins i think 250 bucks and then uh some of the the second place guy gets 100 bucks and then from the remaining contestants we are randomly giving out 50 dollars to people who signed up uh so this is all from the largesse of shenandoah studios they're sponsoring this tournament so if that's all you get for season three of league league of legends is 20 bucks you should have been in our tournament instead. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it might be more. Like 30 bucks? It could be 30 I'm not sure. Maybe a free skin for uh, Annie, with the, the little chick with the bear, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's at least 30 bucks. Yeah, right, that's... Yeah, it's Annie and... Uh, it's, is it Annie? it's Tibbers, I know. Oh, very good, McMaster. It's, it's yeah. her bear. Well, I mean, come on, I wouldn't be who I am. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I went to the uh, I went to the trouble of looking it up, and apparently it uh, it looks like the prize pool is not yet announced, but the prizes for season two were uh, five million dollars. So that's a little right. more than twenty. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think we can top that at quarter to three for our battle. <laughs> I don't know, Shenandoah. Have a good day or something, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how sales do for the month of January. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if they top like I don't know, 150 million. See if they'll throw us. <laughs> uh, so, by the way, stay tuned. We will be reporting on the progress of that tournament uh, in the coming weeks. So we'll tell you more about that. Uh, so briefly, my news of the week. Um, Dead Space 3 is out now. Uh, one of the things I really like about Dead Space 3 is as you're playing, you accumulate these crafting goods that you then use to make components, and you then arrange these components into weapons. And Dead Space 2 uh, had a typical, like you would get skill points that you could unlock different nodes for your weapons, and it was kind of like skill trees. But Dead Space 3 has this crazy wide-open crafting system with these components. Um, I really like how, as you're playing, it, it, it always, whether you're playing multiplayer, you know, co-op, or whether you're playing single-player, whether you go back and replay levels you've already played, whether you're pushing ahead with the story, whether you're just wanting to play at an easier or harder difficulty level, everything you earn, you keep. It's persistent. So there's this persistent weapon progression that reminds me a lot of Resident Evil 5, which worked a similar way. I mean, there were there were weapons you would get in Resident Evil 5, and you would earn money that you would then use to buy upgrades for the weapons. Um, so Dead Space 3 plays very similarly. Uh, the crafting system involves different kinds of components that are used for different things. For instance, one of the uh, things that you find is, I think it's called Metagel. Uh, and if, as you find this stuff, you decide, do I want to use that to make health kits or do I want to use that to upgrade my suit of armor to give myself more health, better regeneration, that sort of thing? Uh, similarly, uh, if you find scrap metal, you can use it to make ammo or you can save it up to make different components. Uh, there are rare elements like tungsten, and tungsten is always going to be uh, in short supply. The, the cool, advanced components you want to make are generally going to be limited by how much tungsten you found. Uh, so as you're earning resources by playing, um, you're upgrading your character by making new weapons, making more powerful weapons, upgrading the weapons you've already got. Uh, but one of the controversies about this is this game being published by Electronic Arts they are letting players buy packs of resources for real-world money. So basically, you can say, hey, EA, I've been playing this game, but I want resources more quickly than I would get by playing it. So here, here's 99 cents. Now you give me, I get a resource pack, which has like 100 metagel, 100 scrap metal, and, and 15 tungsten, as well as some random weapon component that is more powerful than anything you could craft in the game. Naturally, a lot of there, there's been some kind of pushback about this. Uh, of course, a lot yeah. Of, yeah. So for a lot of folks, this is like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I didn't sign up. I, I paid sixty bucks for this game. Now I can pay more to get resources more quickly. Uh, so uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this selling in-game progression for real-world money. Does it hurt the economy? Does it hurt the gameplay? Does it make you less inclined to play the game? Uh, either of you have any thoughts on Dead Space 3? It, I mean, it certainly makes me less inclined to play it. Um, you know, if, if uh, and this is one of the things that, as a designer, I often struggle with, which is, you know, there are th aspects of games that people really enjoy that I'm just kind of like, you know, whether it's microtransactions or, you know, cheating. Like some people, when they play games like Civ or The Sims or whatever, all they ever do is cheat. 
Um, you know, they, they don't they don't play by the rules. Yeah, exactly. You know, infinite money, and then they just build everything. And you know well, what? They're having fun. So is that wrong? I, I mean, ugh. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, The Sims. Uh, I, I would have to give myself infinite money. I mean, I, I already live one life. I don't. I don't want to have to make. <laughs> want to have to make some dude go do some stuff. Uh, you know, like brush your teeth, whatever. Uh, now, this is yeah, medieval sim, sure, but no. I mean, and I understand what you're saying. Uh, it, it, but at the same time, I guess it really kind of doesn't bother me that much. Is there a competitive element to Dead Space Three? Well, that's kind of an important factor. There is not. If this was a, a head-to-head, yeah. if, if this was a head-to-head shooter, for instance, Call of Duty, and they were Activision was selling the best gun in the game that you would normally have to grind, quote unquote, because I don't mean that as a bad way. That you normally have to play a lot to unlock this game, and Activision Earned. was just like, yeah, yeah, exactly, earned by playing. If, they, if, if Activision was just selling it for five bucks. I think that would be a very different thing than right. what Dead Space 3 is doing, where there is no competitive element. The only multiplayer is two-player co-op. Um, and if, if, McMaster, if you want to spend 30 bucks buying stuff to upgrade your dude's weapons right off the bat, you are going to be a perfect co-op player for me because you're going to help me play more easily and help me get resources more quickly. Um, so if anything, it kind of... It's an advantage to me if other players are buying stuff to unlock more powerful weapons more quickly. Um, yeah, I'm gonna buy stuff using your account, but I mean, <laughs> hey, wait a minute! <laughs> for that. But you know, I, I love that you mentioned The Sims, John, because what this is like as you play Dead Space Three. I mean, the the basic economy in Dead Space Three, even though there's all this stuff like tungsten and scrap metal and 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 medical gel, the basic economy is time spent in the game. And that's the same with something like The Sims. Um, and what you could do with The Sims is just use a cheat code to subvert that time played. You know, just sure. give yourself infinite money. What EA is basically doing is selling you that cheat code. Right. Uh, and that, it's a little skeezy, but I can understand why they do it. Uh, and as a guy who has never used infinite money in The Sims, I don't know what's wrong with you people that you're not actually participating in the gameplay of The Sims, that you want to completely break it with a cheat code. But like John says, if you're having fun, that's fine. Um, I find it so easy to ignore this when I play Dead Space 3. Uh, for me personally, I'm not going to give them 99 cents for resources that I would normally get from from playing the game any more than I would type a cheat code into a game. So while I think it's skeezy for me personally, it doesn't affect me whatsoever. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I just don't like the tendency of uh, games, you know, in essence, nickel and diming me for, for anything. I, I like, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, purists where you, you pay your 50 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever, and you get the full experience, you get everything that could be in the game, and you can enjoy it as much as you can. And maybe, you know, maybe that's tougher these days with more expensive games, and, you know, per, honestly, I would be willing to pay $90 or more for games I really wanted to play. Maybe that's not true for everyone, it's just... You know the, the the style of games where you you kind of have to pay to continue playing, uh, even if it's kind of to this small extent. It just rubs me the wrong way, and I don't I don't like that I don't like that path at all. And I will say this isn't anywhere. You know, when you talk about that nickel and diming, John, I think a far worse case example of this is. Uh, what they did with Dragon Age, where they sell different oh, adventures. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've always got a guy in your camp with the exclamation yep. point over his head saying, hey, here's this content over here that you can't get until you pay. Dude. 
That is, Dead, that is that's so scummy. Yeah, and Dead Space 3, as near as I can tell, that's not the case with Dead Space 3. You know, all the content that McMaster gets, if he puts 50 additional dollars into the game, I can also get after playing 20 hours or whatever. Uh, so I don't feel like they're, clo- they're nickel and diming me for content. They're just letting me pay money instead of spend time, uh, which is ridiculous. It, it, for all intents and purposes, it reminds me of what they do with their racing games, where you, you play Need for Speed Most Wanted to unlock the cars, but if you just want to pay to get all the cars right up front, you can pay an additional, you know, one ninety nine yeah. or whatever, and get a code where, hey, you've got all the cars at your disposal. You go straight to the advanced toys, uh, whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it were limited to that, then I I would be fine. It's just, you know, with this being a business, people are always looking for new ways to monetize. You know, right. Everyone's favorite word, and I, you know, I just don't like the precedent it sends or it sets. So. One, one thing I do want to point out to defend a little bit what EA is doing. Uh, so nobody really has a problem, for the most part, with the way games uh, like, like League of Legends and Guild Wars are great examples of how to incorporate microtransactions into your game yeah. because you can also use in-game currency to unlock the things that they're also selling, for the most part. You know, you have to buy the skins in, in League of Legends, but for the most part, the stuff that they're selling that's useful in the game, in Guild Wars and League of Legends, you can also buy just by playing the game and earning enough currency that way. Uh, Absolutely. And in, in fact, gets, League of Legends, uh, to me, takes it even further by making it impossible to purchase things uh, with outside money. Right, uh, they're very good about having... Two separate types of transactions, yeah. Right, now, one of the yeah. things I want to point out that I think gets overlooked in a lot of the furor about Dead Space 3 is that these little booster packs, you can earn in-game currency called ration tickets. They're, they're rare, and as you're playing Dead Space 3, you'll, you'll occasionally find them. These things are used to buy those booster packs. So you can uh-huh. find a resource that lets you get the stuff that you can also get for real world money. You can get you have access to that content without paying real world. Money. So so basically that's their version of the send a self addressed stamped envelope to enter our sweepstakes <laughs> instead of instead of purchasing a product that automatically enters you in the sweepstakes. Yeah, no purchase necessary. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, it's their uh, <laughs> their disclaimer. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, McMaster, when we play Dead Space 3, just use the healing gun. Stand behind me. Just make sure I'm constantly at full health, uh, and I'll shoot the monsters, okay? I do I do actually want to play this game. Uh, so you're, you're playing 360, right? Well, yep. I'll, I'll have to – okay, I'll grab it on the 360. I, I want to and- – and really, I think some folks, uh, one of the reservations I've heard raised, and I can understand this about Dead Space 3, is it's a horror game, and the previous games relied on you being alone. So if right. I've got McMaster yammering in my ear about his Skylanders toys, how scary is that going to be? Uh, Pretty scary. But- <laughs> if you're in space with a uh, grown man in his 30s talking about his figures. <laughs> It's terrifying. Uh, but I just I just want to point out that I personally don't feel that Dead Space is much of a horror game. I mean, they've become a full-on shooter. And the fact that you're shooting monsters, I don't find it the least bit scary. Uh, it's mainly a shooter, and it, it works great in co-op, I, I think. Uh, if I'm going to go out and shoot things, uh, I want my buddy McMaster with me. I don't need to be scared, and, yeah, I don't find it a, a good horror game at all. Every now and then something jumps out, but, but whatever. So yeah. I'm going to have to this game. All right. So uh, that's it for news of the week. Let's talk some games of the week. McMaster, why don't you start us out? Can I make a prediction about your game of the week? 
You can. I there. I could talk about two different games, but uh, I'm curious as to what your your prediction. Is. Okay, my prediction is that Jason McMaster's game of the week in early February is uh, New Nuki Nuni. Um, was that close? Yeah, you were close. Uh, I was going to either talk about that or Devil May Cry, but I believe you've probably talked about Devil May Cry enough. All right, so McMaster, tell us a bit about this uh, Nuni Nuni Nuki game that you've been playing. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nanny Nanny um, Nuki, yeah. Uh, Nuni Nuki right? Yeah. You're killing me, Tom. You're killing me. It's I think I'm close. I'm gonna sooner or later. I'm gonna hit the right combination of syllables. So, McMaster, what is it that makes Nino Nuki Kudu special? <laughs> well, Nino. Nino Kuni, Wrath of the Light Witch. Uh, it's special because it was developed uh, in conjunction with uh, two great studios, one for animation and one for games. Mm-hmm. Though I will say Level 5 did have some questionable times with White Knight Chronicles. They are responsible for some of my favorite uh, RPGs and stuff that you know, just different kind of role-playing games. And, uh, and McMaster, I think you can sell me on this with two words and a number. Oh, as it, far as, yep, as far as like level, as far as convincing me that I need to play the next game level five makes. What are the two words and the number that would get me on board? Uh, say Dark Cloud two. Yes, sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome game. I mean, there's no denying that. Uh, mm-hmm. Dark Cloud Rogue Galaxy also a great game. Um. But they, uh, yeah, it was them and Studio, I believe, it is it Ghibli? I, I believe, I hope. I don't that's know. how all these years, that's how I've been saying it, Ghibli. G- okay. Ghibli. Oh, John Schaefer corrected us. Ghibli? Sorry. All right. All right. What do you call, real quick, a real quick quiz, what do you call it in Doom when you shoot somebody and he explodes into little chunks? What do you call those chunks? Gibbs. Giblets. Oh, so McMaster, did you say Gibbs? And John, you said giblets? Yeah. Gibbs? Yeah, I always said Gibbs. I said Gibbs too, but I think John has a point that it is like uh, it's, 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 he's probably right, but I mean it's, I'm not going to stop saying it's, it. It's that. like GIF versus GIF, the the, right. the old file format that nobody should ever use again. Wait a minute. Right. First of all, one of those uh, file no, well, one of those is a, is a file format, and the other one of those is a peanut butter. Technically, are one GIF. of them is nothing, and then the other one is a file format and a peanut butter. Right, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right, I don't say that GIF. You know, go to hell. I don't care. I've been saying it that way so long. It's GIF. I'm sorry. Yeah, but John Schaefer, you are tearing down my worldview here. This is very traumatic. It's hey, I'm at I'm at the gates, man. You better let me in, or I'm going to tear it all down. (laughs) I'm going to tear this whole thing down. This podcast's coming down. That's what it means when John Schaefer is at the gates. Absolutely. Or watch Uh, out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So anyway, Studio Ghibli. Uh, yes, and and level five. So go ahead, McMaster. The, the folks responsible for My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Spirited Away, Geeky's Delivery Service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now they've uh-huh. made an RPG called uh, uh, Nuki Puni Dooney. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know. Um, yeah, so they're uh, them in combination with level five have made uh, an RPG, uh, Nino Kuni, and. Uh, it's a very attractive game, <laughs> and it, it, it has their knack for uh, level five's knack for combining uh, different game mechanics with a role-playing game, and uh, finding interesting ways to incorporate story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in this game, 
you uh, you play as a child, as always, because I think everybody in every uh, level five game and Studio Ghibli movie is like a child. So it doesn't really matter. You're just a kid, very high functioning, um, and uh, you and you live in Motor City, and you and your buddy have made a car. And- Detroit. No, no, no! It's not. It's not. It's not quite that depressing. This is actually rather idyllic. There were there was very little forced hobo sex at any point in this Motor City. So anyway, I don't know. I'm sorry, City of Detroit. Uh, I don't know if you have a lot of forced hobo sex there. It was just kind of a guess. Um, No, just lots of empty, burned out buildings. I would know. Well, but I'm sure hobos can have sex in those buildings. It's probably happened at least once. Probably right now. But uh, it's... <laughs> anyway, so they build a car, and uh, one night while out joyriding, your main character, Oliver, is in a, a crash, and his mom comes to save him, and she has a weak heart because she's heartbroken. And, uh, and she passes away. And it's Oliver's story of uh, uh, going into a separate world being able to go between two different worlds uh, and affect uh, different people in those worlds. One of them is like the world of the fairies. One of them is apparently Motor City where kids drive cars. And um, <laughs> it, in the world of the fairies, you can use uh, fantastic magical powers and become a wizard. And over here, people just make fun of you for looking like a superhero uh, kid. But uh, since you're a kid, you get away with it, you know. Maybe that's why they do it. I guess if I dressed up in tights and, like, lederhosen or whatever and, like, a cape and wandered around the city telling everybody I was trying to fix someone's broken heart, they would probably put me away. So <laughs> there is a <laughs> there is a bit of that. But um, the game is based upon having familiars that you summon from inside or I took one from a kid once, too, so I guess you could just kind of take them. Um, and those familiars provide you with your different abilities um, for your fights. Uh, it has an overworld map, like a lot of uh, JRPGs. Um, and you can see your monsters on it, etc., whether you can, you can try to avoid them, that kind of thing. Or you run into them in the, the different dungeons. Uh, these kind of games, anything level 5 makes is going to have corridor exploration in it. And uh, there's quite a bit of that, of course, uh, but at least uh, it is animated by Studio Ghibli, so everything looks really great and it's well voice acted. And uh, there's an inexplicably uh, Cockney-speaking British animal of some sort in every game and Japanese anime I think that I've ever seen. So that's there's no there's no change here. I've got that as well. Um, but uh, sorry, but the game itself is based upon fighting the world, building up your your statistics, and curing people's broken hearts. Uh, you can take excess emotion from different people that you meet, and you can use that excess emotion to fix different people. That sounds uh, very sweet. Yes, it's actually a really nice, nice game. Uh, I'm waiting for the spirited away moment where there's like a horrible ghost monster that just kind of destroys all the cuteness. Um, so I'm just waiting for that. But, or like my, my neighbor Totoro has, is delightful as is. is kind of Where's the, yeah, when does a horrible ghost monster show up in my neighbor Totoro and destroy the cuteness? Are you talking about the cat bus? 
The cat bus kind of does it. I love the cat bus, but you can't unsee that cat bus. And I'll tell you one thing. You start thinking about the cat bus, you can't stop thinking about the That's cat bus. That's true. It's the dynamics of that. Yeah, the mechanics of riding inside a cat bus. Yeah, I don't I don't want to think about that. Oh, God. What the what it would feel like. Like bone and fur. Ah, anyway. Sorry, I think I just horrified everyone. It does sound like it could have gone a very different David Cronenberg-style way, uh, the idea yeah. of a cat bus, if, if you're not careful. Uh, if you let that run rampant in your imagination, it can get gross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, McMaster, you just, you described Motor City and the uh, the kids dressed as superheroes, you said? Well, it, the thing is, is you go to uh, a fantasy world, and you, look, of course, look like a weirdo dressed in your whatever the hell people wear in Motor City, overalls with wrenches and newsies hats or whatever. Uh, right. So you have to get some clothes so not everybody makes fun of you. So you dress up in, like, a cape and tights, you know, your standard, like, fantasy stuff. But then you have to come back to Motor City, and everybody's just like, oh, you're pretending to be a superhero. So, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm reminded of a, a brief moment in – there's a movie called Greenberg with Ben Stiller where he observes that in Los Angeles, the adults dress like children and the children dress like superheroes. <laughs> that remind, you talking about Motor City reminds me of that. Well, it's uh, – and not to, yeah, I, I completely veered off path of the whole thing, but uh, you, it, it, there's a lot of interesting game mechanics. You can go back and forth between the worlds, and uh, the, the, many of the characters are linked. Uh, of course, they're not of the same stature. Like, at one point, you have to, uh, there's a, the king of the first city you meet is a giant cat named uh, King uh, Timmy, I think, or King Tom. Tong. That's what it was. Ah, I like the sound of that name. <laughs> this guy, he's a strong cat. Uh, um, and uh, in the in Motor City, uh, King Tom's alternate is just like a house cat named uh, oh. Timmy Toldrums. Uh, but they have a lot in common. They're both uh, rotund and uh, all sorts of things. And when King Tom gets in trouble, you have to go and find Timmy Toldrum and see what's up with him to figure out what's going on with King Tom and vice versa. Now, McMaster, is this a game, and maybe John will have something to say about this, because I think the game he's going to talk about is guilty of this, but is this a game where you have to watch 10 hours of cutscenes yeah. before you get to any gameplay? Uh, to an extent, yes. Now, you can oh, skip a lot of Only it. eight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know what John's going to talk about, too. And you know, I, I could play, in that time, I could have played Little Inferno four times over. The time it takes me to get to gameplay in the game that John is going to talk about, but we'll get to that in a second. So like, is that is this game guilty of that? What? It's to an extent. I, I will say it's not as bad, um, but it's it's also one of those games, uh, and they always do that. It, it just kind of dulls it out everything your control out so slowly, right? So you know, at first you get your familiar, and you can, or you don't have a familiar. You just have to fight, and then you get a familiar, and he can fight, and. The thing with the familiars is your character summons all these. You can only use one at a time, but you can switch them out uh, at uh, at your will. Like so, King Tom, uh, I choose you, that kind of thing. Right, right, sort of. I mean, like you have uh, these these little dudes, and you pick one, and say one's good at physical uh, defense and offense. You have him out there, and then you know you're fighting, and for some reason he's getting his, his butt kicked. You could send somebody out as a, a strength to against water or whatever if he's fighting a water person. So it's like, and they can all combo off of each other. You can boost and et cetera, et cetera, um, and they just kind of uh, represent all the different aspects of your characters. Um, but the game, 
It has a it, – it's – I'm not even that far into it, and it, it keeps revealing things. And I expect a very Dragon Quest, uh, Dark Cloud kind of thing to keep going on with it, because I keep getting ingredients that I have no earthly idea what they're for. Right. So I assume there's a crafting system, uh, and you get all these extra little quests and stuff like that. You uh, There's this great thing, uh, a, a Bounty Hunters Club, or Bounty Hunters Club. It's kind of like uh, a Monster Warrior thing, where you go out and you find the – or Monster Hunter thing. You go out and you find, fight these monsters, and you do good deeds for people, and they give you stamps. And you fill up like a stamp card, like at Subway or something, where you get a free sub after six stamps, you know. But you fill up you fill out these stamp cards for doing good deeds, and then you trade them in for boots that let you run faster and stuff like that. So it's like there's all this weird stuff and collectibles. Uh, it has a lot in common with Xenoblade Chronicles too. In that, hey, wait a minute. That's the old, those are the other two words you could say to get me like this. <laughs> it's got it's got a lot of collectible. It's got a lot of. I don't know. It just it, it feels it just the feel of a uh, dark cloud too with an open world, a more open world. Um, uh, very tales of Vesperia, which is a big deal for me because I love. Well, you just lost me because I don't know what that means. Uh, all right, uh, so uh, so McMaster, here's mm-hmm. my problem with uh, Nunu Kupu. You need okay. a PS3 to play it. Right. Right. Ugh. All right. Yeah, well, uh, some of us don't have PS3s, so you're on well, your own with the uh, Nooney Nooney Nuki. I, I can't. Yeah, what's, what's your problem? I have my launch PS3, and I, it's it's still going fine. What is your issue, Mister? Uh, my issue is that my launch one died, and Sony sent me a replacement, which was pre-dead. So I am now, uh, yeah. So I do not have a working PS3, and I just neither need to get it replaced or buy a new one. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm just PS3less at the point. I, I have a copy of of uh, New Kooky Nooney here, but I I just can't play it because I don't have anything. It won't run in the 360. So you, if you if you have the cool book, you have to send it to me. I did not get the Nino Nuki Kudu book. Uh, I didn't get the version with the book. I'm afraid. Yeah, I tried to get that. So, oh man, I want that. So All right, with, so uh, yes, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, with your uh, your PS3 issues, Tom, your news of the week should be the fact that uh, the PS4 is going to be announced soon. You can just get uh, just wait for that one. And you know what? We don't know. They might just simply be announcing that they're adding a new area to PlayStation Home. You know, we don't, we don't know, know exactly what they're going to say. There might be like a new zombie neighborhood that they're adding, or they they might have a tie-in with Nike endorsements or something. We don't we don't know for sure. You know, February twentieth, they're announcing something. But we'll see. But that Those is funny, John. Equally exciting. Oh, uh, could you imagine? Like, yeah, like your avatar could wear like a Nike shirt. That would be so awesome. <laughs> you know, I, it's like I would doubt that from anybody but Sony. I could see them doing something or announcing something that damn stupid, right. like a giant <laughs> with a giant news and you know thing. Oh. Yeah. So you know what? Here's the thing: is yeah, do I do I pay to uh, repair this stupid thing or do i just hold out until you know when would it be november or whatever for uh, the ps4 and, uh, but you know i mean the last thing i could say about it though is honestly it is one of the one of the most attractive games i've ever played it's playstation like, home yes love playstation home i just like to go <laughs> to the uh different themed areas like the kill zone 3 themed area and i just like lay on the ground in my living room and weep just looking. I said, oh, I look at what you have brought upon me, Sony. And I lay there. And uh, tears just welling. Uh, 
no, it's uh, you know when the PlayStation Two came out, they were always talking about it's going to be like playing a Pixar, you know, movie right. or whatever. And then we got like, yeah, okay, Pixar. But this uh, is a, uh, it's really attractive. Like you can, it's it's like playing a, a Studio Ghibli animated film. Mm-hmm. It's it's very beautiful. All right, so McMaster's game of the week is a uh, Nuki Puni Dooney. Yeah. Um, and uh, John, you have so. Uh, John, your game, your choice surprises me. Uh, I'm guessing, by the way, you want to play this new Kooky Nooney game that McMaster. <laughs> That's all I could think too, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've never really been a big fan of the Studio Ghibli stuff. I think it may just be the fact that everything is from the perspective of a child. Maybe that just, you know, is is, you know, small of me. Yeah, if you will, but I don't know those, those the stories that they tell. I've never found to be all that interesting. So when once I heard that they were involved, it kind of soured me a little bit. But wait a minute, the game you're about to tell us about is from the perspective of a child. That's true. Uh, in a sense, don't 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 challenge me, sir. I'll hang up this. I'll hang up this microphone. You will arrive at my gates. I know. I've heard the threat. Well, I'm there. I'm looking. I'm looking in. I see you now. The window, Tom. Wait, don't don't look. McMaster, deliver the line. Deliver the line, McMaster. Come on stage, and what do you say? John Schaefer is at the gates. And then exit, exit quickly, quickly off stage, McMaster. My senior. So all right, so uh, so Nunu Kupu isn't really your cup of tea, but this other game you're going to tell us about, I'm still surprised that you like this as much as you claim to like it. So tell us about what you've chosen, John Schaefer, developer of At the Gates and Civilization V hardcore strategy games. What have you chosen as your game of the week? <laughs> nice framing. Yes. Mm-mm. My my game of the week is uh, Persona 4, which is not a game I've played this week, but it is a game I will be playing this week. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, John, you've got to watch 16 hours of cutscenes <laughs> before you so much as as choose the attack option in a battle. I don't know if you it's know It's not that. 16, it's only 3. I timed it. <laughs> it is 3. Uh, no, is I'll it really 3 hours before you interact? Yeah. Wow. Unless you just hit the X button for, like, yeah. you know, if you just it hit was, the X button, you can probably do it in 10. <laughs> it was really funny for me, but, like, I, when when Tom and I both got our Vitas, we, I, I got uh, Persona 4, downloaded it, and I wanted to uh, get a new card. So I backed it up, and when I went to put it on the new card, it, it corrupted, so I lost my save file. And I was at, like, nine hours of gameplay. And I got back to the same spot by hitting skip in three and a half hours. <laughs> wow. Oh, good lord. <laughs> That's about so, right. So, John, what makes this work for you then? Like why did, why do you, like a guy who's like seriously a hardcore strategy gamer, like what what is the appeal for you in this, this mm-hmm. crazy drawn out story driven JRPG? Alright, so I'm gonna pull a Tom chick here. Awesome. Wait for it. Wait for it. Persona four is actually a strategy game. Boom! Done. <laughs> Just drop the mic. <laughs> now you know uh, what I'm guessing you're going to talk about. Then, like it's a it's a dungeon crawl kind of thing, and that kind of appeals to the strategy gamer in you. Is that is that where this is going? It's it's even more than that. So, okay. 
um, I'm, I'm playing on the hard difficulty level, so I should note that. I think if you play on one of the easier ones, it, there's basically no game to it. <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of true of most RPGs. Uh, but in, in Persona, there are a few aspects. I don't know how familiar you are with it, Tom, or if you uh, have, have avoided it, but uh, there's, there's kind of two different aspects of the game. There's the combat aspect where you are doing the dungeon crawl thing where you have to manage your party members, uh, you have to manage your items, that sort of thing. Um, and they've done a really, really good job of it there. Um, I played 130 or so hours of Persona 3, and the game was not nearly as good. I'm not really sure why I got to the end, but I guess it hooked me at some point, and then I couldn't stop. But they've um, basically taken the same formula from Persona 3, polished it up, and done it much better, so that the decisions you make, um, you know, every item you get is important. Every item you use is important. You have to uh, be very careful about how you actually uh, use what you have. And then the other half of the game is kind of a time management game where you have to decide how to use your uh, your time slots each day and you can do you can go into combat or you can um, um, you know, use it to level up your your skills in a certain way your your academics or you can use it to spend with um, like hanging out with your party members which will strengthen them in certain ways and it's uh, it's kind of again the second game that they've done in this model and they've really polished it really well, where uh, the choices are actually interesting and not obvious, and uh, the pacing is really, really well done. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic talking about a game where you have three hours of cutscenes at the beginning, but, you know, I, I wasn't kidding. If you really don't want to read that and don't care, you can skip past the three hours of cutscenes in probably ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And um the 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 balance between um the amount of time you want to spend in the time management aspect versus the time you want to spend on the combat side and doing items versus the time you just are watching cutscenes and reading dialogue you can basically decide how much time you want to spend in each of those three so they um as a designer i really admire how they've given players that flexibility so if you really just hate one particular aspect or even two of them uh you can skip past them it's also a just like well-written and well-designed game. Too. I mean, it's actually an interesting game. Yeah, yeah it's 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 really well done. So, um, a lot of JRPGs I am not a big fan of, and the fact that I play them kind of is a little bit odd, I suppose. But Persona 4 really is very very well done, um, and I would probably say the best JRPG I've ever played. See, it's a good one. There's no doubt. Now, I, I guess what uh, I have fiddled with it a, a little bit, John, but uh, I'm still in the very early stages. Uh, it, it just the that the glut of storytelling around the early part of the experience is just a huge disincentive for me. Even though to hear you talk about the, the cool different systems, um, it, it's just such a huge barrier to entry for me. Because for me, the, the difficult part of, of gaming isn't necessarily the cost or the systems. I'm fortunate enough that those aren't an issue it's it's the time that i have um so i just feel like why do they why do they throw that up uh in front of me and i tried to dutifully get through it you know i thought well you know i want to know what the narrative is here i want to know where it's going i want to get to know the characters uh and it's just such an investment like right up front yeah Um, i that is is loaded and you know, that's, I've, I've talked about it on um, you know my website. I wrote an article on Persona 4 talking about how great it is. And 
the one thing that I pointed out was, yeah, uh, getting into it at the start is really hard. And if you really have no tolerance for this, this style of game where you do kind of have to, you know, sit and watch story for it's, a while, it's going to push you back change and you. probably never come back. Right, right. Which is a shame. Uh, now, it's... Front-loading on the story, though, is, is really important to the game, much like I think a lot of the front-loading in Assassin's Creed 3 is, though. Ah, very, oh, McMaster, McMaster, you, you know how to subvert my objections, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> That's why he's the brain behind the operation. We've, we've already figured this out. <laughs> well, and by the way, go ahead, John, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I, there's a similar issue with Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, but Xenoblade Chronicles, I think, is more, as it's unfolding the story, it's also m more conscientious about also including new systems and new gameplay while it does that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of early narrative that you have to sit through, but it, it, it does a good job of mixing it with, with gameplay systems. Uh, so I, I got through, you know, John, when you say you've spent 130 hours with Persona 3, normally I would think, good Lord, that's ridiculous. But I've easily spent that much time with Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, which is another JRPG. So. You know, if those games do their jobs right, that's about the amount of time you should spend with them. Right. And that's right. the thing, you know, that ends up just being the thing about those games and why... As much as I love them, I'm certainly not an expert on them because, like, I like to play other types of games, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why I'm willing to, you know, put up with, the like, the three hours of cutscenes. And honestly, I don't really like that. I mean, I like a certain amount of story, but, yeah, that's, right. you know, that's not why I'm playing games. But when one really works really well, then, yeah, you have 100-plus hours of an amazing game that you really enjoy. And, you know, since I've become a designer... Honestly, that's become rare. Uh, a lot of times when I'm playing games, uh, especially in the strategy genre now, it's just hard for me to not see them as flawed systems that I wish I could tinker with. Right. <laughs> now, John, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm curious mm. how much the narrative of Persona 4 works for you. Can you name the three main characters, without cheating, no looking it up, in Persona 4? <laughs> um, well, let's see. It's it's because uh, I couldn't. I've spent I've spent my you know eight nine hours with the early parts of the game, and I at one point remembered it. But as soon as I put it down, that goes right out of my head. I'm just curious if that's has stuck with you. So go ahead. Can you do ooh, it? That's that's tricky. Uh, honestly, I've not played the game in about a month and a half. Even and you're a, and, and you're a systems guy like me is the thing too. I'm sure you could tell me about the cool like the Persona fusion system and all that stuff, but. It sounds like you're like me, and those names go right out of your head once you put the game down for a while. For long enough, yeah. I mean, if, if you'd asked me like two weeks ago, I would have been able to name everything. But yeah, my brain's just been. My, I'm, I'm lucky I'm conscious, right? Yukiko! <clears throat> Yukiko! <laughs> go on, Remaster, two more. Can you get two more? Yukiko? I can get, I can get at least one more. I can, I'm having a hard time with a third one, but it's Yukiko, Chie. And I can't remember the guy's name. All right. Uh, and then the other one is Nunuki Nuni. <laughs> Nunuki Nuni. How did I miss that? <laughs> uh, John, is uh, Persona 4 Golden a tough game to jump back into after you've been away for a while? Is that going to be another part of the learning curve for you? Or is that um, a part of the, sort of the obstacle to, to go back into playing? I don't think so, no. Okay. Um, it's... 
uh, I mean, part of that is, again, it's a similar game to Persona 3, which I've played way more than I should have. And um, <laughs> I'm 60 hours into Persona 4 at this point, so oh, I doubt they're going to be throwing too many more curveballs at me. Well, so. and, you know, that's a game that really, uh, for as involved as it is, the systems aren't overly complex. They seem a lot more complex than, than they really are. You know, it's it's totally just a collect cards, uh, up, you know, level up your characters, and then you can, you know, transmorph them. And it's just really an item hunt after that. So it, it really is just kind of like a, a strategic level to a dungeon crawler. So, I mean, the, it's as big of a barrier of entry there is, there's really not a lot to... Not to say there's not a lot to master, there's not a ton to remember and learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, my fingers are crossed for you that you do not suffer the McMaster curse and find your saved game gets corrupted. That would be that would be bad. I, I do save... I do make new saves every hour or so, so I would lose at most an hour progress unless my whole card just dies. Well, that, was, that was the thing, is that it saves, uh, it, saves it in the software. Or at least when you when you have the download version, which mm-hmm. I had, it saves it on the software inside of the game file. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. save it as an outside save file, which kind of blew my mind. Like mm-hmm. why why would you write that into your actual code other than they just had done it for the cartridge and didn't feel like screwing with it? Yeah, that's weird. I, I have the cart version because I know it's going to stay in my Vita forever. Uh, right. So, right. Um, you know, partially because everything's downloadable, and partially because no games come out for the Vita anyway. So, <laughs> well, which depresses that. me so much because the Vita is such a good system. It really is, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's really slick. Yeah, I'm glad it came out because there's never going to be anything like it again. So, John, you keep your Persona 4 Golden cart in your Vita. McMaster, what is, because I'm the same way, I'm never going to swap out those teensy little chips. There's room in my life for one chipped game. <sighs> Everything else is downloadable or I don't play it. McMaster, what's the one game that goes in your little chip slot in your Vita? Uh, I have a swap, unfortunately. What? That's crazy talk, McMaster. Who can live that way? Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Sarah found a used copy of Hot Shots Golf for me on cartridge. Uh, otherwise, it was Assassin's Creed Three, um, or Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, Liberation. But uh, her her thing. Uh, but and then also she found a copy of the Silent Hills thing on a chip. So so those are currently in rotation for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Call of Duty doesn't get a lot of time <laughs> uh, for- back in the old slot. For me, I had, uh, because when I, I was playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Liberation and then got to the end of the storyline, so that was my cart game for a while. Uh, but once I've gotten to the end of the storyline, I've been okay with taking that little chip out and keeping my Need for Speed Most Wanted chip in there. So that's currently my one chip game. Everything else downloadable. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's a shame. So wait a minute, there's got to be new Vita games coming out things coming over from Japan. Sony can't just abandon it, right? Maybe that's the announcement on February 20th. A whole new wave of Vita titles. Yeah. That would be better than the PS4 for me, at least. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what they're going to be doing with that system, but I really wish it was faded for a much higher purpose than it will be. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's get off of Vita's, and let me tell you guys about my pick for Game of the Week. Uh, I finally got around to finishing uh, Undead Nightmares, the add-on for Red Dead Redemption. Um, nice. 
And man, I just forgot how good that is as uh, A, as a zombie game, and B, as an add-on for Red Dead Redemption, an added value. Uh, I don't think we will ever see DLC that good or that thorough again. It's just an amazing bit of... It, it, it's just it's a total mod, it's a total conversion mod for Red Dead Redemption. There's very little, but I will say that Rockstar has been good about that because you know Gay Tony and uh, uh, the, uh, the South the, or the South Central add-on for uh, Midnight Club Los Angeles has a lot <laughs> of it's a whole new area of the city. Um, and yeah, the Gay Tony add-on. You're right, McMaster. Um, yeah, Bethesda's good at it too. I mean, Broken Steel is an awesome add-on. I mean. I get the feeling we're not going to see much of DLC like that in the future, though. Like, the impression I've gotten is that for the investment that's put into those big, you know, almost expansion-like DLCs, it's not worth it. And they're, you know, unfortunately, they're better off, you know, putting one artist on maps for two weeks and then selling map packs. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like, like even the Bethesda (sighs) stuff you're talking about, McMaster. Like, some of that is cool, but it's just a little. A, a sort of an annexed area, like you have a new area you oh, can go to and adventure yeah. in. Uh, but what what Undead Nightmares does for Red Dead Redemption, and what I love about it, is it completely retools that entire huge it does, vast yeah. area, and uh, and it gives it new gameplay mechanics. It gives it a new story progression. It even gives it a new visual look. So the idea of Undead Redem- Undead uh, Nightmares is. Uh, it's it's what's called weird western, and that's a whole trend of mixing horror with westerns. Yeah. Um, and the the crux of it, the, the the fundamental part of it, is it adds a zombie apocalypse to that part of, of to, to Red Dead Redemption. And in this zombie apocalypse, zombies start overrunning the different towns, and you have to go and save the towns by fighting a zombie horde mode with NPCs. And there's a lot of ammo management stuff. You almost never have... Actually, as you're playing, you get plenty of ammo, but early on, it's a survival horror game where you don't have enough ammo. You have to share it with the town's members to help them defend the town. And as you're going around and adventuring and doing the story mode, every now and then a town will come back under siege. And you either have to go back and help them uh, fight off attacking zombies, or you'll lose the town, in which case you can't teleport there. You know, it, it incorporates fast travel into the gameplay in a way that Red Dead Redemption's core mode never did. Uh, right. So if you if you lose a town, you have to go back and recapture it again. Uh, so there's this idea that there's a zombie apocalypse that keeps pushing back. You know, you clear out a town and it's never 100% safe. Um, right. Uh, I love the the graphics. They even give the world this sickly green uh, yellow tint, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like when you clear an area too. It kind of has this like areas cleansed feel to it. You know, it's almost like they changed the light filters. Well, they, it's such an atmospheric world anyway. Like, yeah. As far as just like the the evocative lighting and the sunsets and you know the, the beautiful game. Behind. Yeah, yeah, beautiful game. And and they definitely know how to make it look like a horror themed game. Uh, even the eerie music uh, that, that they play. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about spoilers. I won't get too much into spoilers, but having finished it, because this is like, what is this, three years old, four years old? How old is this, McMaster? Um, let me think. It's probably three, I think, at this point. So I hope that the spoiler uh, – well, you know what? I'll just be vague with them. Um, so I went ahead and finished it. Uh it, it's not nearly as strong an ending as the basic Red Dead Redemption, uh, but but they well, do. S- what? Go ahead. You know, to be fair, the basic Red Dead Redemption has a super strong ending. 
It does have a super strong ending, and they do something a little bit similar here. Uh, so the final mission was terrible. I can't believe that's what they were going to make you do. But they, the final mission's awful. But then what they do to then turn you over into the open world again, because Rockstar is never just going to slam the game shut like Bethesda did with Fallout 3. Uh, what they uh, do to, to turn you loose into the open world game, I really kind of like. Uh, it's, it's worth discovering. Um, I also uh, love how... There's a dead eye feature. It's like bullet time in Red Dead Redemption that you never really need to use. It helps. But because Rockstar made it where these zombies, you can only kill them with headshots. It's not entirely true. You can just pour a lot of damage into them. But for the most part, you want to headshot these zombies. It makes that slow-mo bullet time hugely invaluable. It's suddenly a huge, and because you're limited to ammo, it's a huge prominent part of the gameplay to go into the bullet time, to line up the shots. You know, you basically assign where you're going to shoot across the different zombies, and then you fire, and it goes back into into regular speed, and John Marston, like, lowers his pistol, and he fans the hammer. Uh, it's just so gratifying to set those up for, for zombie yeah. kills. Um, so I really like that. Uh, there is a new set of sort of quests and objectives um, with things like hunting and killing the undead. Uh, there are these collectible horses. McMaster, you sent me a picture <laughs> of the one that you found. Um, yeah. So the idea is... Which ones did you get? Did you, did you get all so of them? Or? I got the one... No, no. So there's there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and at the very end there's a unicorn you're supposed to find. Uh, nice. If you finish the game, you get a sixth horse, which is super badass. So I found uh, the one with the flaming hooves and pestilence. Uh, the, the stinky one with the flies around it. Those are the only two I found. I didn't find the unicorn, and there are two more horsemen of the apocalypse I haven't found. I guess death and famine would be the only two I could think of, because I guess flaming has to be war. Uh, yeah, and then the other one is, I think, locusts. I don't know. I don't know what the fourth one is. <laughs> but, uh, by the way, you start off with a zombie horse, which is one of the most infuriating things I've ever... So the zombie horse, he's like all rotted away, and he's only got a spinal column where his neck is supposed to be. Uh, and he has no stamina. In in Red Dead Redemption, the basic model... Normally you drive cars around an open world game. In Red Dead Redemption, you drive horses around. And the limiting factor of the horses is how much stamina they have. They can only run for so long before they get winded. Uh, the undead horses have unlimited stamina. But the problem with the first zombie horse you get, he has unlimited stamina, but he's also, uh, he's got a little hitch in his get-along in that he's hard to control precisely. He will definitely veer off to the sides. He will go where you don't want him to go. And if you, if you ride him into a city like, uh, is it Thieves Landing? What's the New Orleans area, McMaster? Thieves Den, Thieves Landing? Oh, the New Orleans area is that? I think it is Thieves Landing. Actually. Yeah, it's like a it's like a bayou town, and there's little bridges, right. and it's on a swamp. Uh, John Marston can't swim. If he, right. it's like in the original Assassin's Creed. If he goes in the water, he's dead. So if you try to ride a zombie horse full speed in the Thieves Landing, you're liable to just drive it into the water and get right. killed. Yeah, I don't. That's just a, yeah, yeah. That's just a death sentence. Yeah, and also, McMaster, I don't know if this happened to you. I was losing my Apocalypse horses. Like, they wouldn't come. I would whistle to summon a really? horse, and only the stupid zombie horse would show up. What happened to my apocalypse uh -huh. horses? Shut up. <laughs> Have you lost yours? No, no, mine's still yeah. proud and free. Well, it's in, in, in the core game, you get a, a deed. You get a title 
to your upgraded right. horses, and you can select that, and then they'll come right. to you. But I never got a title. Like, I captured these two horses of the apocalypse, and at some point they just decided to mosey away, and I don't have them anymore, which is really annoying. So That sucks. Yeah, yeah I'll have to take a look through that. Yeah. So uh, I finally finished that, but I've still got plenty to do. Uh, I, I, I so love that game. Uh, McMaster, you and I will be playing some horde mode. Yeah. I, need, I need you to just stand back and just heal me. Make sure I'm healed, and I'll be, I'll be <laughs> yeah. fine stuff. Oh, I, I'll be sure. I'll be, I'll be right on top of that one. Yeah, you're the um, cleric. Yeah, you yeah, know, we have to play some free room and do those co-op missions, too. We need to get some craziness going. Craziness! I was noticing, I don't know what's going on here, but you seem to have the achievements for those, and I don't. I I can't stand McMaster. Hey, well, you know, I'm available to kill people. Well, when you're you're not busy playing uh, Nino Nuki Kudu. (laughs) (laughs) Get Nuki time. (laughs) (laughs) John Schaefer, have you you done any Red Dead Redemption? I haven't. It's on my list, though. I mean, it's I love open world games, but they're they're kind of like the JRPGs in that they to really dig into them, you have to spend I don't know <laughs> dozens of hours at least. And uh, Skyrim has oh, yeah. really been the only one I've been able to find the time for. Uh, yeah, Red, Red Dead Redemption. Though the thing that gets me about it is that's it's kind of a an evergreen game. I mean, when it came out, I had some reservations about it, but it does so many things beautifully. And timelessly, there's nothing that has really displaced it. Like, you know, Oblivion was great, but then Skyrim came out. Uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood was great, and then Assassin's Creed 3 came out. There's been nothing that has replaced, that has taken the role of Red Dead Redemption. Uh, because yeah. it's so vividly Western, it feels completely different. The gunplay, uh, there's there's really no world quite like that. Yeah. Uh, it, well, it, nobody, nobody got Westerns right before that, even. So <laughs> that's true. The first, yeah. in the first never couple be hours, in the first couple of hours, there's a quest that I mean, say it irritated some people, but I just absolutely loved it. Where you're helping. Um, the McFarlane Ranch, and you're out, and there's like a storm coming, and you're trying to get all these horses in and everything. And I had all my surround sound and everything set up, and just like the lightning and the wind and the rain and the, the just the whole atmosphere uh, that they've cre- they created in Red Dead Redemption was just second to none. I, it's just it's it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. what. Uh, all right, so join me and McMaster uh, for some uh, some co-op. We'll, we'll be fiddling with that on the 360. Oh, you know what? We've got Dead Space Three to do, McMaster. We've got a we've got a cleanse we've got a cleanse space of necromorphs. We can't be faffing about in the old west. <laughs> well, that's tr- well. I don't know. I mean, there's, surely there's space for both. That is true. That is true. Gaming is a big tent. We can do both. <laughs> to be fair, you probably shouldn't be faffing about anything. So. That's, that's, I'm not even sure what that means. Yeah, I love that word. I'm not sure what it means, and I hope I'm not saying anything too dirty when I use it. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, yeah, if you know what faffing means, uh, email us. Let, let us know. Uh, all right, so uh, there we go. Those are our games of the week, our news of the week. John, uh, it's awesome to hear about At the Gates. I wish you the, the best of luck with it. Um, Please go to, to John's Kickstarter page, have a look at it. Go to Conifer Games' website, uh, have a look at what they're doing. Uh, and if it's like, if it seems like something you would enjoy, throw in your support. Um, and John, uh, thank you for hanging out with us today. Absolutely. It was great to be on. I always uh, enjoy coming on with you guys. So appreciate the time and uh, love talking games with you. Well, McMaster, what are we bringing folks next week? 
some games, I think, and I bet Dead Space 3 talk. Awesome. So join us for that next week, and we'll see everybody. So there's actually a point uh, in Red Dead Redemption, uh, for the most part it doesn't have any music, uh, where it plays this this kind of weird language song. I think it's at an important point in the story when John Marston's going back to his family, uh, and there's like one song. It's like a random song pops up. Uh, oh, yeah. You can skip it by just fast traveling, but who would ever skip that? You know, suddenly a song is playing, and you're like, wait, I want to hear this. So you ride the horse back to, to yeah. your home. And the song is like a little, it's just kind of like, it's this little sequence. It's like a musical sequence where you're just riding your horse home listening to this cool song. Um, so they did something similar in Undead Nightmares. And this is the song where you get to an important point in the game and this song kicks in. And you're like, well, I'm not going to skip this. I want to hear this song. So this is you riding, I think, into Mexico to get to the heart of what has caused this zombie apocalypse. And they play this cool, punky western sort of goth song <laughs> so there we go it's, yeah it's a very Django Unchained <laughs> yes yes very good work faster <laughs> I, I really want to play this game you guys are making do me want to do it so maybe John maybe just delay at the gates by a month you know what it'll just be that much better <laughs> the, the experience the experiences that a developer has can be translated directly into a better game. So yeah, it's considered. You have Undead Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, uh, I'm definitely not going to be doing much the next couple of weeks, I'll tell you that. <laughs>